A very good morning to my brothers and sisters in Christ and also a warm welcome to the guests and the friends that have joined us this morning, both here in person as well as those uh, online. Thank you for taking time off your precious weekend to be with us and your presence with us is indeed a great encouragement to us. We are in, now on a series of lessons about our relationship in Christ. We are discussing about the one and other commandments in the Bible. Over the past few weeks, we have discussed about some of the one and other commandments for example, to love one another, to forgive one another, to comfort one another. And today, we'll be looking at uh, edifying one another. The word edify is an interesting word. Okay? Uh, it's not a word that we often use in the English language. And in fact, if you look at the Greek word, it's also very interesting. Because it's actually from the Greek word, oikodomeo. And this word, I say, is an interesting word because it's a word that is used in construction. Okay, in the construction industry, they use this word in the Greek, oikodomeo. And the word oikodomeo actually is derived, it's a compound word derived from two words. Oikos, which means a house, and doma, which means a housetop or a roof. So it signifies the building of a house from its foundations all the way to the roof. That's what oikodomeo means. And this word oikodomeo actually has two senses in which the word is being used. Of course, the first is the literal sense, building of a house. It also has a metaphorical sense, as we'll see it being used in the Bible. In fact, the Bible uses these two senses, the literal sense as well as the metaphorical sense. Various passages in the Bible talks about buildings. Okay? For instance, it talks about the building a house, erecting a building. If you recall in the parable of the rich fool, okay, the rich fool had a, was given a plentiful harvest. And what did he say? He says, I will tear down my barns, I will build greater, I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. He had a grand plan. He wanted to have a great retirement and live out his life in ease. But of course, we know that God told him, Thou fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Who shall all these things be whom you have laid out? Okay. So we see that in this sense, the word, I will build greater, is from the word, build is from the word oikodomeo, which is to build a building. He wanted to build a barn. There's also a metaphorical use of the word. In this case, it's not talking about building, but it's talking about growing. Okay? That's why edify the words comes in. You help someone to grow. And so when used in a metaphorical sense, it means to grow in wisdom, to grow in piety. So when you edify a brother or sister in Christ, you're encouraging them, helping them to grow. Grow in knowledge of God's word, as well as to grow in the Christian virtues as well. So in that, we can see that word being used in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, where Paul tells the church in Thessalonica to comfort yourselves together and edify one another as even as you do. So here, Paul uses the word edify, oikodomeo, which talks about growing, helping one another to grow. Indeed, the word oikodomeo is actually a very apt word to use for the church. Why? Because the Bible describes the church as God's spiritual house. God's spiritual house. And Christians are described as the living stones in the house. So you and I, we make up the church. The church is not a building, but it's a group of believers coming together to worship and to serve God. In fact, the word church comes from the Greek word, which means an assembly. So when Christians come together, we are the church. We are like the building blocks in the house that strengthen the house. And the house, you know, is only as strong as the, bu the building bricks are. If the bricks are weak, the house will be weak. But if the blocks are strong, then the house will be a strong house. 
So it's indeed a very apt word to use, isn't it? When you imagine a house, bricks that build out of a house, you use that imagery, and God uses the word oikodomeo, edified to describe the building up of this house. And so, we see that when we talk about building a house, you need strong bricks. But in the Bible, do you know that there is a very problematic house, a problematic church in that sense? And of course, you will think you will know that I'm talking about the church at Corinth. This church at Corinth, Paul uses the word oikodomeo, asking them to edify one another. And they need to be built up. Why? Because in this church, it is rife with envying, with strife, with divisions. Members cannot get along with one another. Members do not see eye to eye. So a lot of work is needed to build up the church, to edify, to encourage one another. And if you look at the book of Corinthians, particularly 1 Corinthians, you understand why that is so. Because this church is probably the most problematic church you will ever find. Consider how chapter 1 and chapter 3 talks about divisions, factions within the church. They want to follow human leaders. They were not united. Chapter 5, we talk about sexual immorality, where there was a man who had his father's wife, and such sin is not even known among the Gentiles. Again, a problem in the church. Chapter 6, we see there were lawsuits, uh, brethren suing each other, bringing each other to court. And Paul says, that's a shameful thing to do. Uh. You are bringing shame upon the church. In chapter 8, chapter 10, we see that there was stumbling. Okay? Uh, brethren who had superior knowledge, greater knowledge, they were stumbling those who were weak in the faith. Particularly in this instance, we know that he's talking about food offered to idols. Okay. Uh, those who have knowledge know that the food, even though it's offered to idols, is nothing. The idols cannot affect the food. But those who are weaker in the faith, they do not have the understanding. They thought the food is polluted. Why are you eating the polluted food? They get stumbled. But the superior knowledge one does not care. So, again, causing problems in the church. Chapter 11, we see that there were abusers in the church. Abusers in the sense of the abusing of the Lord's Supper. They were not waiting for one another, but some of them, when they come early, they were eating. In fact, they were, they were eating as a common meal, not regarding the sacred use of the Lord's Supper, which is to remember the Lord's death. They come early, can you imagine coming early, or oh, I haven't eaten breakfast, ah. I take the Lord's Supper and eat my food. Eat until I, I'm, I'm, I'm full. Okay. That's the abuses we see in 1 Corinthians 11, which Paul addresses. Chapter 14, we see that there was disorderliness in the church. The church, no doubt, they have a lot of people with miraculous spiritual gifts, those who speak in tongues, those who prophesy. But they were doing it out of uh, personal vainglory. Uh. They wanted to show that, oh, I have this gift. And they were speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, where nobody could understand. Nobody could be edified. And so Paul addresses that, that when you use your gifts, this must be interpreted so that the church can grow. And then, we will see that there were heresies in the church in talking about the, the resurrection, whereby some of them teach that there is no resurrection at all. So indeed, you see this church, so many problems, so many issues. It's indeed the most problematic house, the most problematic church in the Bible. So how does Paul address these issues? Well, first, we see that Paul reminded the Corinthians that they are God's building. You are God's husbandry, you are God's building. The word husbandry means vineyard, you are God's vineyard. Okay? So you are supposed to bear fruit and you are God's building. The church is the temple of God, figuratively speaking. And then, Paul also reminded them that his role as an apostle is not to tear them down. Even though Paul uses strong words of rebuke, he gives them strong counsel, but Paul reminds them that what he says is to edify them, to build them up, and not to tear them down. Okay. In fact, in two verses here, we see that Paul reminds them that 
God has given him this uh, authority to use for edification and not to destroy them. So in using the imagery of a building, he's there to build up the, the house, but he's not there to wreck the house, to tear down the house. And he has to remind them of that because some of them may take it in the wrong way. Paul, why are you rebuking me? You're trying to destroy me, you're trying to discourage me. No, that's not the case. Paul wants them to do the right thing. And then, Paul also gives them an exhortation. Not just one person's job to build up the house. In fact, every Christian has a duty to build up the house, to build up the house of God. So he encouraged them to do all things for the edification of the church. In fact, two times in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, Seek that you may excel in the gifts to the edifying of the church. Whatever gift you have been given to you, use it to help the church to develop, to grow. And he says, let all things be done unto edifying. So the solution to build up God's house is to edify. And this duty is not to one person, but for all of us to edify, encourage one another. And we see that similarly, we see in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, he also called upon the church in Thessalonica to edify one another. And of course, we know that this command is still applicable to us today because Paul says that he teaches the same things everywhere in every church in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 17. So this command has passed down from the church at Corinth to the church at Thessalonica, even to us today, that we need to edify one another. And so it is that in this morning's lesson, we shall discuss about our mutual responsibility to edify one another in order to enhance our relationship in Christ. And I'll be looking at three points whereby we can edify one another. In words, in works, and also in the way that we worship God. And these three ways, I think, are good ways that we Christians can help to encourage and edify and build up one another. Let's first consider words. Indeed, we know that words can edify others, don't we? In fact, let's look at what the wise man says in Proverbs, 15, Proverbs 25 verse 11. Notice he describes how words can paint a beautiful picture. He says, a word believed spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Very interesting, right? It's the apples of gold in pictures of silver. Very precious and very beautiful picture indeed. So you see that, you know in English we have a term, it says, a picture paints a thousand words, right? But this verse also tells us, a word speaks a thousand pictures. Ah. Okay. Words, you can help to build people up. You can help people to move people as well. Sometimes you see people give grand speeches. It moves people to tears. Okay. Sometimes you, you go funerals, eulogies, move you to tears. Even wedding speeches, you are touched by it, right? And words can also inspire. You talk about Martin Luther King's uh, the, the speech, I have a dream, inspire others. Winston Churchill's uh, speech inspired people in the time of war. Okay. So words can build up. Words can move people. Well, when I look at words, uh, words can move people to tears, right? But it's even better than paintings. Uh. I've never seen a person move to tears by paintings. Uh. Unless maybe it's your own painting that got destroyed, uh, then you cry. Uh. But normally you don't. But words are powerful. Words move people. It encourages, it inspires people what to do. So we need to use words to encourage others. But more than that, God's word is even more powerful. Paul tells the elders in Ephesus, and he says, Now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of grace which is able to build it up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. Notice the words of God can build us up. That's why we need to listen. We need to study God's word because it is that word that will encourage us to motivate us to continue in our Christian journey. But 
we realize that words can also discourage others. If words are used in the wrong way, instead of building others up, it will tear others down. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 12 verse 18, the same wise man who tells us that words can build others, he says that words can also pierce people. There is dead speakers like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is hell. So notice words can pierce people. Uh, okay? In English, you have a saying uh, that says, stick and bones, stick and stones may break my bones. Sorry, stick and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Uh, okay? Sometimes people use that to say, that, oh, your words don't affect me. I don't care. Your sticks and stones can break me, uh, but words don't hurt me. But well, we know that that's not really true, isn't it? If you hear enough discouragement, you also feel down, you also feel sad. And the thing about words is that words can be more powerful and more painful than even the physical stones and sticks, right? Physical stones and sticks, you are bitten. Okay. So long as you don't die, uh, you can still recover. Your wounds can still heal, right? You get bitten, you get stoned, uh, you don't die, eventually your wounds can heal. But you know, sometimes words can leave emotional scars that do not heal, right? People say words that hurt us, you will never heal. No matter what people do, we cannot let go. Okay. But of course, we know that shouldn't be the case. Uh, Cornelia shared with us a good lesson about how we need to forgive one another. As Christians, no matter what people do wrong to us, we need to have the attitude of forgiveness. Okay. But really, words can hurt. Words can damage people. And that's what the wise man reminds us, to use our words wisely. Not only that, notice how dangerous words are as well. In Proverbs 18 verse 21, the wise man again says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. The tongue is so powerful, uh, it can cause a person to live or a person to die. Of course, we know that in ancient times, the words of the king are so powerful. Uh, the king can say one word only, the head is gone. Today, we may not have the kind of power in the word, uh, but today, words can still kill, isn't it? You look at how sometimes people, you look at the news, news, people commit suicide because of social media bullying. How sad it is that people are used so hard words, encourage people to take their lives, that people really, literally do it. And words can, can give encouragement, right? When a person is down, a person feels like taking away his life. And a word of encouragement can sometimes turn his mindset around. So indeed, words are so powerful. It can bring life, it can bring death. It can hurt, it can help to heal. So we need to be very wise in the use of our words. And we see the powerful potential of words, especially in the life of Nehemiah. We'll be looking at the life of Nehemiah and some of these examples to see how words, works and worship can either help or destroy other people. We see that Nehemiah, we know that in the book of Nehemiah, the walls of Jerusalem were in disarray. He was being torn down during the time of the captivity. And Nehemiah was someone who had the heart of God. He surveyed the ruins, the wreckage, and he says that we need to do something. And so he went to speak words to the people to encourage them. In Nehemiah 2 verse 18, the Bible says, Then Nehemiah told them of the hand of God, which was good upon me. He told them, he encouraged them that God is with us. God will bless our work. And he also told them the king's words which he has spoken to me. Okay? So the king gave him the permission. He says the king has given us his favour. And so what did he say? He asked them to, let's do the good work. And the people answered, let us rise up and build. And they strengthened their hands for this good work. How powerful is good words? We talk about how speeches move people. We talk about how Winston uh, Churchill, Martin Luther King, his words motivate and move people. Nehemiah's words in this case move the people. And the walls which was in disarray for a long time, nobody bothered to do anything. A speech by Nehemiah caused the people, inspired and roused them to start the work of building the temple, building the, sorry, the, the walls of Jerusalem. But on the other hand, 
words can also discourage, don't they? Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 9, we see that the enemies of the Jews taunted them, discouraged them. I mean, we cannot build the wall. Uh. The wall is so weak that even if a fox jump over it, it will fall. Okay? That kind of discouraging words to them. And Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 9, notice what did Nehemiah say of these words. They all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work that it shall not be done. Therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. The enemies, the words of Sambalat, Tobiah, Gisham, and the enemies, they were actually aimed to make the Jews afraid so that they will not do the work. They were aimed to make them weaken from the work. They were actually not very inspired, very, very uh, motivated. But these words discourage their hearts. Huh? They say, yeah, so difficult, the work is tough. There are so many people who are against us who do not think that we can finish the job. So he actually discouraged them a little. That's why Nehemiah calls of God, strengthen my hands. So we see that words does indeed help or hinder the work. So brethren, are we edifying one another with our words? Do our words help people to grow or do we stumble them? We need to edify brethren in words because the Bible says that the words can minister grace to the hearers. You realize that there are some people that like to talk to. Uh, why? Because they are so encouraging. Uh, no matter what kind of difficult situation that you tell them, no matter uh, how kind, what kind of situation that they are in, they always have good words to say. Uh. Okay. This reminds me of a, a, a story that my uh, instructor shared with me at Forces College uh, about this man who was well known in the village for, talking, for always having good words to say. Okay. Whenever people have problems, you always look at the good side of things. Okay. So uh, whenever people fall sick, he says that, oh, don't worry, God is with you, you'll get well soon. People lose their job, he says, don't worry, maybe a better job will come. Okay. And one day, a nasty dog, uh, a very fierce dog, beat him. Uh, okay. And people say, ah, now he got bitten by a dog. Let's see what good things he has to say. And so they ask the man, what do you have to say about the dog that bite you? The man says, well, the dog has beautiful teeth. Uh. So you see, sometimes you have good things to say, you encourage people, you motivate people. You like to be people like that, right? Because it makes you laugh, it makes you cheerful. Even when you are down, you talk to these people, ayah, brighten my day. Make me feel much better. Ayah, make me feel uh, relief and comfort. Okay. So there are people whom you like to be because of the words. And brethren, do we also use words that edify others in a godly way? Edify others because you say words can build up, right? But you can build up others in the right way or in the wrong way. We must make sure that our words give godly edification. What do you mean by uh, words that give godly edification? It means words that inspire people to do the right thing. But do you realize that you can give words that inspire people to do the wrong things as well? You build them up, but build them to do the wrong thing. Okay. I remember when I was in polytechnic, uh, uh, I attended these uh, night lessons. Uh, sometimes we have night classes. Very boring. I saw the lecturers, uh, they teach very monotone and there's no passion in the teaching. Okay. So there's this particular class in the evening from 7 to 9 uh, that a lot of us don't like to attend. Uh, okay. uh, but we're always thinking, hey, I must take attendance. Uh. Uh, I need to have 90% attendance. If not, uh, I cannot get graded for the module. Uh, so sometimes my friend will, in, will, will encourage each other, hey, let's contact together. Uh, we go video arcade uh, and go and play. Then uh, we get some of our friends take turns to scan the cards for all the others. Okay, well, that also builds us up, gives us the courage to do. Uh, but it's doing the wrong thing. Uh. So unfortunately, we sometimes we give in. Uh. You, not today, we, you, you stay, we all go. The next day, I stay, you all go, that kind of thing. But that's actually soon you are teaching you to do the wrong thing. So we need to make sure that our words encourage people to do the right thing. Don't encourage people to do the wrong things. So do we edify one another such that people hear the words, they get strengthened, and they are encouraged to do the right things for God. Having spoke about words, let's now talk about works, the things that we do. Well, again, 
works can edify people, don't they? For instance, the command is given to elders, to preachers, and also to teachers. The roles are there in order to edify the church. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says that Christ gave some to be apostles, some prophets. Of course, today we know that these officers are no longer here because this is a time of miracles. In the first century, they were there. And Dr. Peter shared with us in many lessons about how the time of miracles have ceased. So these were officers that were there in the first century. But today we don't have apostles, we don't have prophets. But today we still have elder, uh, evangelists, preachers. We have pastors, which are elders. And we have teachers as well. And what are they supposed to do? It's, they are there for the perfecting of the saints. Or some translations say for the equipping of the saints. To equip them, to build them up, to train them. For the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. To build up the body of Christ. So elders, preachers, teachers have an important work to do. They are there to help the church to grow. They teach lessons, they encourage brethren from the word in order to help them to be strengthened, to be built up. But this work is not just to only these officers. Because if you go down to verse 16, notice that Paul says that this is a duty of the whole church as well. Verse 16 of Ephesians 4, it says, From whom the whole body fitted, joined, fitly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplier. So Paul is using the imagery of a, of a body. Okay. The church, the Christians, they are members of this body. So when the whole body is joined together, everybody is fitted together, notice he says that what happens? When everybody, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, when every part of your body works together, okay, it makes the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Notice when every part of your body coordinates well, it does its share. What happens? You become stronger, right? You become fitter. Okay? Uh, your body is exercised, they help you to become stronger. So sometimes you see people who exercise their hands, uh, but the legs, they don't exercise what happens. Or sometimes like, the legs don't strength to carry the body, uh, because not balanced, right? But if you exercise your whole body, it becomes very strong. It becomes very powerful. Okay? So you notice that it will edify, it will encourage, it will build up each other in love. So the whole body must come together, the whole church comes together to work, it will really edify, it will really encourage. You know, sometimes uh, energy is very infectious, uh. enthusiasm is very infectious. Okay? When you are with people working, it helps all of us to be motivated to work, right? But imagine if people don't work, what do you feel? You also feel very discouraged, right? Okay. That's why when parents, they always ask their children to mix around with people who are hardworking. Uh. Why? Because you know that when you see your, your classmates all studying for exam, uh, you also can't chung, right? You see all of them are studying, uh, better study. Uh. But your friend tells you, never mind, uh, haven't started. Uh. Oh, okay. Uh. Relief, uh. they haven't started. I think if they can, oh, they can do it, I also can do it. Uh. I also can play a while more. The, the way we do things affect, it influences and motivates us. Okay. So we need to encourage each other. When everyone is working, we are motivated as well. On the other hand, works can discourage others as well. Okay. Of course, we know that certain works that are sinful, it can discourage people. Today, when you see a person in the church having open sin, it can indeed it discourages us. But some works may not be sinful, but yet can discourage others as well. Okay. For instance, the Bible talks about, Paul talks about the example of uh, the food offered to idols. Okay? The food offered to idols is not sinful okay? because the food, nothing wrong with it. Okay? You can eat it, doesn't affect you. The idol cannot do anything to the food. But do we realize that that can actually cause stumbling to others? When people do not have the understanding, the knowledge, they get stumbled. Okay? So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 9, Take heed, lest by any means 
this liberty, this freedom of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. So there are certain things that Christians can do, but we don't do it because it can cause stumbling to others. Okay. Today, if a Christian is a vegetarian, you don't get property put me into his food, uh, can cause stumbling to him. Okay. Or you talk about, for example, one thing that is sometimes very controversial is that of Christmas. Okay. Uh, we, we, we that have knowledge know that Christmas is not the birthday of Christ. We know that there are pagan origins related to it. But sometimes people use that festival as a, as a way for family to get together, to enjoy the festival uh, mood. Okay? Sometimes people put a, a, a Christmas tree. Well, that is, that is not a symbol for anything. They don't mean that as a symbol for pagan origin or for anything. But if we know that a Christian, when they come in and see the tree, they can stumble, hey, you celebrate Christmas, then we don't do it. It's nothing wrong because you don't do it as a religious observance. You can use it as a secular observance. But if you know that a brother comes in and you will see that and you can stumble, then why do that thing? So Paul here is telling us that our words can discourage others. It may not be sinful, but if the thing that we do causes others to be stumbled, then don't do it. Okay. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 8 verse 13, Paul goes to the extreme. He says, even if eating meat caused my brother to stumble, I shall not eat meat. Well, that's the kind of conviction that Paul had. Okay. I see a brother, I know that he don't eat meat. But if he's offended by me eating meat, if I'm going to preach to someone and they get offended by me eating meat, then Paul says, I don't need me. I will want to preach to a person. Saving the soul is more important. But do you also realize that there are some works that can be good works, huh? but yet can cause problems. It can cause envy and strife. For example, Paul talks about preaching Christ. Okay? He says, some preach Christ of envy or strife, some of goodwill. Okay? What is our motivation in doing the works is very important. It will determine whether it causes stumbling or not. Some people say I want to preach. Why? Because to show that I'm better than others. Well, that's not a proper motivation. It can cause problems. It can cause stumbling in the church. Okay. So that's why we have to examine that whether we're doing good works, do we do it out of the right motive? Do we cause others to be stumbled? Remember that the church here, we are, we are here coming to help each other to go to heaven. We are not here to compete. Huh? It's not like a competition where there can only be one winner. Then I must make sure I be the winner. But everybody can be a winner. We don't need to prove that I'm better than others or I'm, I am superior to others. That's not the point. The point is to help each other to be better so that all of us can go to heaven together. So the work that we do, we need to make sure that they don't discourage others. Once again, let us look to the life of Nehemiah to see the powerful potential of the works that can be done and how they can edify and build up others. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, we see that the building of the wall made great progress. In fact, Nehemiah says, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. The wall was building very well. Why was that so? Because everybody was building. Okay, if you look at Nehemiah chapter 2, everybody was building the wall in front of them. Okay? And I think everybody, when you look at the neighbor, uh, wow, this guy is building very fast. He's building very solid. I want to make sure that I don't let the whole team down. Because if my wall is the weakest part, uh, enemies can come in and attack my wall. So I have to make sure that I'm not the weakest thing. I want to build my wall well. That's the mindset they had. Everybody motivating, everybody building each other up. And in fact, the wall was record-breaking uh, because in just 52 days, uh, they finished building around the whole wall of Jerusalem. Very fast, very effective. Why? Because everybody was pulling their weight. Can you imagine if only one person was building? Uh, what would happen? Wow, it would take a mighty long time. Uh, maybe four or five years, still have a few build finish. But when everybody does it, the energy, the energy, the enthusiasm was very infectious. Everybody wanted to build. But, Works can discourage as well. Once again, we see that the enemies of the Jews wanted to cause problems to them. Okay. In fact, you see Sambala, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, 
These were the enemies of the Jews. Okay? They wanted to hinder the work. Okay? So what did they do? They wanted to hinder the work. They said, let us conspire against them. We will attack them while they are building the walls. The kind of works actually discouraged the people. Uh. In fact, Judah, the Jews, they were affected. They said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. There is so much rubbish, we are not able to build the wall. Well, once you know that people are trying to attack you when they are trying to build, uh, what happens? The motivation becomes weaker now. Uh. Uh, now so hard to do. The strength is weakened. And now a lot of excuses come in. Uh. There is so much rubbish, I think we cannot build the wall. See, the rubbish not, it doesn't really affect. Uh. The rubbish, you leave it there, you build finish there, you clear can already. But now it becomes so discouraged that anything can become an excuse. Of course, Nehemiah will see that he didn't let that affect them. He says that half of us will work, half of us will carry weapons to defend against the enemy. And so, the work of the war continued to rebuild. But here the point is that works, the thing we do, either can encourage, just like Nehemiah, encouraging the people, or it can be like the enemies who discourage and weaken the hands of the builders. So, brethren, once again we ask the question, are we edifying one another in our works? Do we follow other the things that make for peace and the things that one may edify another? Do we value peace in the church to make sure that the works in the church can go smoothly? That we don't want the works to be caused by to cause divisions or to cause strife, but we want to make sure that everything is done for the glory of God. Paul reminds us to follow the things which make for peace. As we mentioned earlier, some things may not be wrong, some things may indeed be good. But if it's going to cause divisions, problems with the church, then might as well I don't do it. It's not worth the conflict. Okay. So he give in just to make sure that the work of the church continues to develop. We also want to make sure that the work that we do will please our neighbour for his good edification. We want others to be strengthened. Okay. We don't want to discourage people. Okay. Maybe the things are not wrong, but by doing some things, maybe you can cause people to get offended. Then don't do that thing. So brethren, do we edify one another in the works that we do? Lastly, let's talk about worship. Worship can edify people. Okay? In fact, the Bible talks about the edification that we receive from worship. And that's why God gave us the command that every Sunday, every first day of the week, we need to worship because we need that building up from God's word in order to overcome the challenges, the temptations, the trials that we face in life. Consider, for example, the act of worship, which is preaching. Okay? In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3 says, he that prophesies speaks to men edification, exhortation, and comfort. Okay. Of course, in the first century, they have the gift of prophecy. They are able to uh, pour out God's word that was revealed to them. Today, we don't need the prophecy because we have the full revealed word of God given to us. But this message that is from God's word does the same thing, doesn't it? Just in the first century, it can edify people. Today, it can edify people. It can exhort people. It can encourage them. It can also comfort people. During funerals, a lot of times we go to the Bible. Why so? Because the Word of God gives us so much hope, gives us so much promises that we can find comfort in God's Word. Okay? So preaching, one of the acts of worship, edifies people. That's why we Sunday we have lessons, we have preaching, we have teaching, in order to edify, to encourage the brethren. Do we also realize that prayer can be a form of edification as well? When brethren know that we are praying for each other, okay, when I'm sick, I know that brethren are, brethren are praying for me, we get uplifted. Oh, brethren are thinking about me. They are pouring forth, they are giving me the best gift ever. Okay? Because they are going to God on my behalf, asking for God to heal me. So prayer is a way to edify one another. Okay? In fact, Paul condemned, Paul rebuked the Corinthians because they were praying in tongues. Okay? Praying a language that nobody can understand. Okay? The word tongues actually means languages. 
So they were speaking in tongues that nobody can understand. So Paul asked the question, you can give thanks well, but the other is not identified. Can you imagine today if I pray in a, a language that none of you understand? Maybe let's say I pray in Greek. Okay. Well, maybe I can pray a beautiful prayer, the most beautiful prayer, but nobody understands that. Huh? Does it do anything for others? It doesn't. So Paul is saying that prayer must be understood so that it can edify others. Okay. So you notice that the acts of worship does edify. When we pray, when we preach, as well as seeing, right? Seeing also, it says in Colossians 3.16, that the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Notice the seeing of the words can teach and admonish. It can teach me, it can encourage me, it can exhort me. So all these acts of worship help to encourage, to build up one another. So that's why it's important for us to worship. Because when we don't come to worship, we lose out these opportunities to be exalted, to be encouraged, to be edified. Not to mention that it's also a breaking of God's commandment. But we do benefit when we come into the worship assembly. However, worship can also discourage others. You may say, hey, wait a minute. If I come to worship, how does it discourage other people? Well, when we are not demonstrating the right attitude. For instance, when we are not focused on the worship, it can discourage others. You consider the case where Paul was at Troas. Uh, okay? A worship session was disrupted. What happened? Okay? Because Paul was preaching, it was a long sermon to be fair, so the person definitely feel tired. Uh. But Eutychus, okay? this was a young man, probably Kevin, we had used to such long sermons before. So when he was there, okay, he fell into a deep sleep. When Paul was long preaching, he sunk down his sleep, he fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Uh. And notice that the sermon was disrupted. Uh. Someone died. Uh. You don't continue preaching when a person dies, right? He went down and he, of course, restored him back to life. But do you realize that the worship session was disrupted because of one person called, found sleeping? Uh. Okay. Of course, thankfully, we are here. We don't see any near any windows. Uh, so it's a bit safer. Okay. But not to say that we can sleep. But don't you realize that sometimes sleeping also can distract other people. Okay. The person sees the head nodding, nodding. Uh. The person will get, get distracted uh, because he knows ties. Uh. So you look at the head nodding and nodding instead of focusing on the sermon. So sometimes when we do not have the right attitude, it can cause others to be stumbled. Okay? For instance, if people talk in worship, it can also distract you, right? You want to listen, but other people talking. You cannot. Okay? When I was in I always make sure I sit in the front. Now. Why? Because sometimes I sit at the back, I notice that the children playing around, and adults try to play with the children. That also distracts me as well. So don't do that. It distracts people. And sometimes we see brethren playing phone, using phone, social media scrolling. Uh. It's also a distraction to us as well. So sometimes the way that we conduct ourselves in worship can affect whether others are edified or others are distracted. But not just the people who are in the worship, in attendance, but even those who are serving in worship can also discourage others. It can distract others. How so? When we do not speak intelligibly. Okay? Well, when we look at 1 Corinthians 14, there was a problem because people were speaking in tongues uh, and nobody could understand. Nobody could be edified. Today, we don't speak in tongues. Uh, we don't speak other languages. But we can also speak tongues in another sense. What do I mean? When people mumble the words, blah, 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 you don't understand what it says. Okay? You don't get edified. Sometimes when we speak too softly or we mumble our words, okay? uh, so that doesn't help. I remember when I was in Bible college, my instructor told us that four simple things that you need to do when you preach. You stand up, you speak up, you shut up, you sit down. Okay? Four simple things. The difficult thing is the speak up part. Uh. Stand up, you can. Uh, you sit down, you can. You shut up, you can. But speak up is the important thing. So they always remind us, speak up, make sure you articulate well, you speak clearly so that people can understand. Because you can give the most best sermon ever, but if your words are don't understand, you mumble your words through, that doesn't encourage people. 
So make sure that we can edify people. And sometimes people can also speak tongues in another way. What do I mean? They use such language that you cannot understand. Uh, okay? I remember when I was younger, uh, sometimes you hear prayers, uh, wow, the prayer very cheap. Uh. I need a dictionary to understand what he's praying uh, because they use so bombastic words. Okay? So again, my instructor in policy says, use words that people can understand. Okay? Don't go and show off that you, your English vocab is very good or throw a lot of Greek words. Of course, sometimes Greek words is necessary to help people to understand the words. But use words that will help people to understand so that they can be encouraged. Okay? So sometimes in prayer, I'm also very mindful. Uh, I try not to use the words like di, dao, dine. Okay? Sometimes I do that, you say it speaks the prayer more, more formal. But sometimes other people may not be familiar. Okay? When I was younger, di, dao, dine, I always got very confused. Uh, when to use di, dao, and dine. Okay? These are words that we find in the KJV. Okay? And when we introduce that into prayer, visitors come in. Uh, actually, I don't understand what the prayer is talking about, uh, di and dao. So we try to make it simple so that people can be identified. Okay, I'm talking about public prayers. Of course, your private prayer, you want to pray with beautiful language. That's good. We see that the psalmist uses very beautiful language, right? Okay, that's good because that's a private prayer. But when we do public prayers, make sure that people can understand what we say. So, worship, make sure that we can edify others. We do it with the right way and we also do it with the right heart. In fact, worship has powerful potential. It can help people to be built up. We look again at the life of Nehemiah. We see that after the wall was being built up, Nehemiah taught the people from the word of God. He gave the sense, he helped them to understand the reading. He read God's word and he helped them to understand. And what was the effect? Notice Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 12. All the people went their way to eat, to drink, and to send portions, and to make great mirth. There was great joy celebration in the city. Why was that so? Because they understood the words that was declared unto them. They heard God's word. They understood. They know God's will now. They were very happy. He helped them to do the right thing. So they were celebrating. Isn't that so that when you hear a good sermon, you hear things that are applicable to me that help me to be a better person. That encourages me. I'm very happy with the sermon. It encourages us. So we need to make sure that we worship God in the right way. On the other hand, we see that when worship is not done correctly, it can bring negative consequences. In Nehemiah chapter 13, read about how people were profaning the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was supposed to be a day of rest for them to spend in worship to God. What were the people doing? They were trading, selling, making merchandise. In fact, a lot of those that bring the goods were those that were outside the city. Of course, the pagan nation, they don't care about the Sabbath, they bring their goods. But what happened was that the Jews also go and join in as well. So what did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah closed the gates on the Sabbath. He drove the people away. That was the right thing to do. Because Nehemiah reminded them, did not our fathers task and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city because they, they forsook the Sabbath. Okay, so they were being punished for that. But he says, yet you bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. God was angry with them, wasn't he? Because, wasn't he? Because they broke his commandments. So today when we break God's commandment to assemble for worship, that also infuriates God as well. So we need to make sure that we do not sin by forsaking the assembly. In fact, there is much good to be done when we come together to worship and encourage one another. So brethren, are we edifying one another in worship? What is the benefit when it comes to worship, when we are edified? In the Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we look at the, the, the consequence, the results that come from edification of the church. In Acts 9, verse 31 says, Then that all the churches rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and they were edified. The church was encouraged, the church was built up. And they were working in the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. 
Churches were growing. Why? Because they were being built up. And when Christians are being built up, guess what they do? They continue to bring, out their, bring forth their faith. They are encouraged. They want to do more for God. So the church, we need to edify one another. When the sermon is preaching that helps to build our brethren, we know what to do. We do the right things. And then, it's also infectious. Visitors come in and say, this is a good church. The church follows God's word. They treat God's word with respect. People put God at first place when they come to worship. Church will increase. Increase both, not just numerically, but spiritually as well. We need to edify one another in our worship. And we edify one another. Okay. Hebrews 10 25 are very familiar that we are not to forsake the assembly ourselves together. But verse 24, a verse earlier tells us that why do we not forsake the assembly? So that we can consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works. Okay. You know the word provoke sometimes can be a bit controversial. Lah. We don't like to provoke people. Okay. But here the word provoke actually means incite. Lah. You incite, you instigate people to good works, to love. When you come together and say, hey, uh, we have a church event activity coming up. Why, why not we go together? That encourages people to be involved. That encourages people to do more for God. So once again, when we come to worship, we can edify and encourage one another. So in this morning sermon, we have discussed about our mutual responsibility. Okay, notice it's not one person's job, it's everybody's job to edify one another. And we can do that through words, through works, and through worship. Going back to our point earlier, talking about the most problematic church, the most problematic house, which is the church in Corinth, Paul tells them to edify one another. But you may say, how do we edify one another? You may think that, oh, a lot of knowledge is needed. Huh? Okay. I need to know what to say, what to speak. I need to know what to do. So probably knowledge is the most important. But surprisingly, uh, Paul says, knowledge is not the most important. The most important is love, charity. He says, Knowledge buffers up, but charity edifies. Did the knowledge help the church in Corinth? No. Those who were superior in knowledge, they were judging those who were weaker in knowledge. Have we talked about the, the food offered to idols? The knowledge that they had didn't help them because there was no love. They were judging those. They were discriminating against those who were weaker in knowledge than them. In fact, knowledge can cause us to become judgmental. It can cause us to be critical about other people, doesn't it? But Paul says charity or love edifies. When there is love, you will want us to build up other people. But of course, knowledge doesn't hurt because we did say that knowledge of God's word can edify us. Okay. But if there's so much knowledge of God's word but even no love, it's of no avail. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2, Paul says, Even if I have the gift of prophecy, I understand all mysteries, I have all knowledge. Everything Paul Gali, everything he also has. He has all the knowledge. But it says, even if I have all faith, faith comes by God's word. Huh? So if you have all faith because of all the knowledge that you have, and he says that even the faith that could move mountains, but if he has no love, he's nothing. So all the things that we do out of charity, we do out of edification, it needs to be done out of love. Okay? And that is why Paul tells us time and again that all things be done unto edifying. I'd like to end off with a simple poem. A simple poem about builder or rector. Okay? I'd like to run through this verse of this poem. He says, As I watch them tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town. With a heave ho ho and a lusty yell, they swung the bin and the side wall fell. That's the wall of a demolition, now you recognize that. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled? And the men you hire if you wanted to build. He gave a laugh and said, no indeed, just common labor is all I need. So anybody can tear down a building. You just need to destroy. I can easily drag in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. 
as I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Isn't it so? You can take many years to build up a building, but it's so easy to tear it down. You want to build up a relationship, you want to build up a friendship, it takes years. Uh. But you want to tear down, you want to destroy a relationship, it's so easy to do that. Likewise, with the lost church. Years spending to build up the brethren. But one problem in the church can cause divisions in the church. So it's very important. The next verse, next stanza says, Am I a builder who works with care? Measuring life by rule and square. Am I shaping my life, my work to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a rector who walks with how? Content with the labor of tearing down. O oh Lord, let my life and my labors be that which you build for eternity. So brethren, let us resolve to be loving builders rather than reckless rectors. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. There are things that we can do, there are things that we can say, but it may not be the right thing to do and the right thing to say at that point in time. So let us always make sure that our words, our works and our worship will edify other people. So friends that are with us this morning, again, thank you for taking time to be with us, uh, to join us for this morning's worship. We hope that this lesson has encouraged you. But really, the most important thing that will edify, that will build up, is God's word. But do you realize that God's word doesn't only edify, doesn't only build up, but God's word actually saves as well. Going back to what Paul says in Acts 20 verse 30, he says, Now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, the last part of the verse says, and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. God's word will give us an inheritance. It helps us to go back to heaven. It is the GPS, the map that helps us to find our way to heaven. Have you obeyed what God's word tells us to do to be saved? The plan of salvation is very simple. God done his part. He sent his son to die for us. Jesus shed his blood and the plan of salvation is revealed in the Holy Spirit's inspired word. What we do now is to hear the gospel, to believe the gospel, to repent of our sins, confess Jesus and the Son of God before men, and to be baptized in Christ. And of course, to live a life of faithfulness all the days of our life so that we can be with God for all eternity when life is over. May we continue to encourage one another with gospel and with uh, the things that we have mentioned in this lesson. Let us now sing the hymn of invitation and encouragement. How sweet, how heavenly. How sweet, how heavenly is the sound when those that love the Lord in one another's peace delight and so fulfill the word. When each can feel his brother's side and with him bear a part, when sorrow flows from eye to eye and joy from heart to heart, when free from envy, scorn, and pride, our wishes all above. Each can his brother's failing sight and show a brother's love. Love is the golden chain that binds the happy souls above.